maybe you've forgotten how God's love was poured into you when you first got saved. I think about when I when I go evangelize, and then there's there's this there's this kid, this this young adult. I see him and and I just feel the hurt in him. I just see how much God loves him though, and I just see how much he just needs God's love. Yet he doesn't know it. He wants to reject it. And think about the time that somebody preached the gospel to you and told you that God loves you, Jesus loves you, and then you give your life to him, and then you feel just God's love poured upon you, and you knew that you wanted that for the rest of your life. You knew that that's what you're going to live for, is love, because nothing's going to compare to that in this world. Not a sport, not a, a guy or a girl, nothing but God's love alone. So just right one more time, let's go after his love and just begin to worship it. Just to say, grow up in love, God. It's beautiful. Come on, God loves you tonight. God loves you tonight. for our sins. Thank you that we have freedom, peace, love in you, God. Oh, God, we, we want to just thank you tonight, Lord, for your love. As we say in the song, we just live this worship to you, your unfailing love. Your unfailing love over me again. Let us never forget, God, how much you love us. Oh, God, that we're not alone. Hallelujah. You love us, Lord God, so much. That your mercy and your grace is as far as the east to the west. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise and worship tonight. Lord God, we just pray that you have your way. You take control. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Give each other a high five, a hug. Just lavish each other with God's unfailing love. Amen. Just love one another. Let's take a seat. If we all can just like get in the middle part of the, of the uh, sanctuary here, the uh, the first uh, three rows. Amen. Good to see everybody's beautiful face here at Encounter Night. Praise Jesus. We have the freedom to worship Him. Come and hear His word. Who's hungry for some word? I'm hungry for God's word tonight. Always be hungry for God's word. Always be hungry to worship him. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Here, our, our vision at Metro Praise is to love God and what? Love people. Amen. Our um, our strategy here is to uh, connect, mentor, and send you out to, to, to live like Jesus, show, to, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And not to forget, our main services of Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And uh, Wednesday nights, we're here at Encounter, okay, 7 p.m. Time of prayer, time to worship Jesus, time to get filled. Praise God for a time like that, amen. Fridays, we got Elevate. Come on. Oh, I like that. Let's do it one more time. Elevate. Woo! We got Elevators waking up. 
this evening. You guys are awake. Amen. That's good. It's good to see that, you know, y'all, y'all teenagers just energetic and loving Jesus. Amen. Like I was saying, strategies to love God, love people. I mean, vision, love God, love people. Because strategies connect you. We want to connect you to Jesus, mentor you to live like Jesus, send you out to share Jesus. We do it here every Wednesday at 5 o'clock, Saturdays as well at 5. And our goal is to have 100,000 disciples, 50 churches in Chicago, 500 all over the world. It's happening right now. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. We also want to remind you, next slide please, that uh, we tied here 10% of our total girls belongs to God. And you consider this your church, you know, where you get fed spiritually, you get a mentor uh, and to become a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. We want to encourage you to obey the command. Tithe. 10% of your total growth belongs to God. Don't steal from God. Amen. Bless God. Bless the church that he's given you. Bless the, you know, the kingdom of God, what's going on overseas, what's going on in the community. And offering is uh, whatever you want to give to God, you know, besides the tithes. You know, if you feel led to give to the building fund, if you feel led to give to the missions, please do so. Amen. We're in need of that. The kingdom of God is in need of that, man. There's $30, you know, you can give, you know, when you want to order pizza and a pop. You know, there's $60 you can give to order the, the, Pacquiao, the Pacquiao fight. But you know what? <laughs> there's, more, there's more better important things to invest in. Eh? And I know that's the kingdom of God, so let me encourage you. Please give. Let's pray now. I want to pray that God would bless you for those that are giving. Amen. You can, you can uh, by the way, give to the uh, drop box here in the back of the sanctuary, the student center, and also online. Amen. Let's close our eyes. Lord, we thank you for this time, God. I pray that you bless the giver. And, God, as they continue giving, Lord God, that, the, that, that our hearts, Lord God, it, you know, uh, when there's this little ounce of greed, Lord God, that you see in there, Lord, that you remove it. And, God, I pray that as we give, Lord God, uh, we will continue doing it, Lord God, with a, with a cheerful heart, God. We continue doing it, Lord God, uh, with a genuine heart, God. And that you will bless us, Lord God. Um, we don't ask for a material blessing or financial blessing, even though you know our needs, God, because you say you will meet all of our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. But I pray that you, that you bless us, Lord, spiritually, Lord God, that we will know you more, God, and we will have you deeper inside of our hearts, Lord God. So just bless, bless the giver, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Who's ready for the word tonight? Come on. Chickaboomba time. Here comes the one and only brother Jared, the evangelist, Walker. Amen. Let's give him a hand. He has the word tonight. Yes. Uh, praise the Lord. Praise God. Um. I just want to uh, introduce myself. For those who don't know me, I'm Jared, uh, one of the one of the deacons here at Metro Praise. Actually, Friday will be four years of me being saved. Amen. November 11, 2007, Jesus uh, came into my life. He rocked me. I've never been the same since. I just, man, Jesus, is real man. I knew I had to get in line from that day forth. I knew I had to do what He said, whether I liked it or not. Uh, whether, whether it meant up giving certain habits and certain uh, uh, goals and dreams. And just something on my heart to share with young people, I wasted years of my life in my B.C. days, my before Christ days, I wasted years of my life, one, sinning, and two, you know, uh, holding myself to some unrealistic standard, some P. Diddy, T.I., Lil Wayne standard, and some Christian young people still live up to that standard. Some Christian young people still want crispy kicks and a fresh fade. And I want to tell you guys, your kicks will never be crisp enough. Someone's going to have a fresher fade than you, and you're going to feel bummy if you hold yourself up to those standards. I hated myself. I was the most miserable in those years when I tried to please people and tried to do what people uh, uh, thought was right. Jesus said what, what is commendable in the sight of men is detestable in the sight of God. God loves me in FUBU. God loves me in Hanes. God loves me in Walmart clothes. Hello, somebody. It's just on my heart. I wasted years. I was the most miserable in my life. I had a pair of kicks one day. I'm like, yeah, I got cool kicks. I scuffed my kicks the next day, felt like an absolute bum. How wrong is that? How the devil's mindset is that? Let's, let's get that thinking out of us, Christians. Um, everyone turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. We're going to talk about the gospel. If you've been uh, to church for any length of time, and if you're anything like me, you've probably heard the gospel uh, a, a bunch of times you wondered what it meant. I actually wondered, you know, what, what exactly it means. What is this gospel they speak of? And I'm going to talk about that. Did a little study and it blessed my socks off. And I want to share it with you guys. Amen. Uh, everyone in Romans 1:16, bow your head, close your eyes uh, as we pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. God, give us insight and understanding to what your gospel is and help us to apply it to our lives to the utmost 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're in the book of Romans. Paul, uh, the, the, the apostle, the missionary, he's writing to a church in the city of Rome. This is not a church that he himself started or pastored, but he's writing to them because he heard about the great things God is doing there. And he said, hey, guys, I want to come your way. I heard about what God is doing. I want to come and see you guys. I want to bless you guys. Everyone say, I want to bless you. And he writes this letter to talk about his message and what he's all about. And this is the thesis, chapter 1, verse 16. It's about the gospel. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And for those who wonder what Jew and Gentile are, Jew is a Jewish person, Gentile is everybody else. So Jews and everybody else, which means everybody uh, is saved through the gospel. Amen? Now, uh, again, if, if you're anything like me, you wonder what the gospel's about. Uh, gospel is a Greek word. It means good news. Everyone say good news. So that can be used interchangeably. If you ever see good news, maybe you have different translations of the Bible and it says good news. That means gospel. Gospel means good news. Good news means gospel. Amen. Um, so Romans 1.16, there's his thesis. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of salvation for everybody. And, and that's where I'm at today. I have a, a, a certain conviction. I think I'm self-brainwashed and God knows I needed it because I, I had such a dirty mind. But I brainwashed myself into believing that the gospel, whatever this gospel is, is the salvation of the whole world, just like he said. It's the hope of mankind. How many would agree we live in a messed up world? As Pastor Joe was talking about this last Sunday, one billion people on the planet starve. There are uh, wars just going on, uh, hundreds of wars since uh, 1940. We've had world wars, the first global wars uh, in the past hundred years. We live in a messed up day and age where we have uh, tyrants, uh, dictators who oppress people in their own countries. They're, they don't have freedoms and things like that. They, we have diseases. We have cancer. We have uh, uh, AIDS, 30 million people in the world with AIDS. I want to agree that's pretty messed up. And then in this country, you know, we have the American dream, right? Wrong. Uh, no, we have divorce. We have depression. We have distress. Come on, somebody. We have death. We have drugs. We have a bunch of other D words, disgusting, dumb. Seriously, we have this American dream here, uh, yet we have, you know, divorce rates, broken families, fatherless homes, drug addicts, kids on the street, kids killing kids, you know, all, all, that, all that stuff with gangs. This is messed up, right? I, I'm here, and, and I'm saying this, uh, as, as much as... Um, as, as complicated as it is, some people might say, Jared, you're, you're being too simplistic. Are you saying that the gospel can cure all those things, that the gospel can solve all those problems? Yes, I do. Uh, I, I don't know the ins and outs. I don't know how to make all these parties agree with each other. I'm not that sort of guy. Uh, I don't know how to feed the whole world. I know we have enough food. We just don't share it. But what I know is the gospel has the power to change the human heart. You know, a lot of people... They have their solutions for the world's problems. We see the Occupy Wall Street protests, and I'm not going to get political, but I'm going to say even if they got what they wanted, they say, oh, the answer to the world's problems is our economy. If we change the way money works, the world will be a better place. I guaranteed if they got what they wanted, the world would not be a better place. No one would be happier. We'd have the same old junk, different economy. If they changed government, wouldn't be that much different. Same problems. If they changed our food, they say there's so much chemicals in food, and that's why we have cancer. Well, if they changed our foods, it would be the same problems. If they educated us more, same problems. We're the most educated people that's ever lived, and yet we kill more humans have died at the hands of other humans in the 20th century than in all other centuries combined with all our education. With our education, we build a nuke bomb. So I don't think education is the, uh, the, the answer. I don't think economy is the answer. I don't think... Uh, um, you know, having, you know, reforming the government, these are all, you know, good things within themselves if you do it right. But I think those are just symptoms of the real problem. How many know that if you have splitting headaches and it's because of a brain tumor, you take aspirin for the brain tumor, that does nothing for your brain tumor. And you'll still die from that brain tumor if you don't treat it. I believe the gospel cures the, the disease itself and not the symptoms. We're too busy going at the symptoms of what's wrong in the world. Paul said this gospel is for the salvation of everybody. Say everybody. 
Look at your neighbor, say, that means you. For everybody, and I'm stubborn about this. Paul said, I'm not ashamed. He said, I'm not ashamed. And there was this whole world around him, the Jewish people, the pagan people, everybody in between trying to make him feel dumb for believing what he believed. And there's going to be a lot of people who make you feel dumb for believing what you believe. They say you're ignorant because you believe that God created the earth in six days. They say you're intolerant because you don't condone homosexual behavior and celebrate it the way they think you ought to. So they're going to make you feel dumb to the point where you might compromise. You might not believe all of what you believe. And if you get confronted with it, you you might, you know, kind of ease back on it. Well, I think Mormons are Christians. They love Jesus. I I heard them. I, I went to a service. I heard them sing. You know, I think they're very sincere. You know, you, you, you begin to compromise on these little things because you don't want to offend anybody. Paul wasn't ashamed of what he believed in, Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? And, and we need to believe all of what we believe. We need to be stubborn. We need to be stubborn as a mule uh, for the gospel. We need to be uh, hard-nosed, stiff-necked for the gospel. You know, when people tell us one thing, you shouldn't believe that stuff. Hey, man, I've, I've had atheists on the streets stump me. You know, in, in, in the course, you know, we have our little street corner debates. We do street witnessing in Wicker Park. I, I've had these guys stump me. You know, I didn't have the readiest answer for them. I admit that doesn't make him right. And I said to him, hey, sir, I don't think you're right. I'll give you credit. You know, you have good, you have good arguments for what you believe, but I still don't think you're right, and I still think you need Jesus. Nothing anybody tells me is going to sway me from the gospel, amen? And it didn't sway Paul. Point one, let's not be swayed from the gospel. And we're going to learn a few points about what the gospel is and what we do with the gospel. The gospel is a message. Throughout the New Testament, the gospel is preached. It's proclaimed. Okay? You preach and you proclaim a message. And that's what the gospel is. The good news is a message. Everyone turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The gospel is one. It is a, a, a spiritual message. Everyone say that with me. Spiritual. It is a spiritual message concerning spiritual needs preached by spiritual people with spiritual words and the power of the Spirit. Everyone say spiritual. It is purely spiritual. Chapter 1, verse 17 of 1 Corinthians. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, the Bible originally was not written in chapters and verses. Translators put that in there so we could you know, find things there easier. So if, as I go to chapter 2, I just want you to bear in mind, he's in the same train of thought. He's not talking about something else. He's talking about the same gospel he was sent to preach. Amen? So as I go to chapter 2, <clears throat> starting in verse 9, he says, However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of uh, knows, knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world. Say that with me. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Amen that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. We've got to understand that the, Spirit is, uh, that, the, that the gospel is a spiritual message. That means it's not of human origin. As we read in verse 9, it says, No mind has conceived. No one could think of the gospel. I guarantee it. You get your Hollywood script writers. You get Avatar Okay, has anyone seen Inception? That was a crazy, trippy movie. You get the guy who wrote Inception, and and they could not come up with the gospel. You get the prophet Muhammad, you get Buddha, you get Zoroaster in a room, hello somebody, and they could not come up with the gospel. The gospel is not of human origin. It says it was revealed by his spirit. It is a spiritual message. It comes from God. Uh, There's a song that's sung by Third Day, and it was written by the late Richard Moles. It says, I believe what I believe in. It makes me what I am. I did not make it, but it is making me. Say that with me. I did not make it. I did not make the gospel, but it is making me. This is a powerful message. It does not have its origin with man. So it has its origin with the Holy Spirit. So it's a message that's straight from God. 
One, it does, and also it does not minister to felt needs, but to spiritual needs. What are felt needs? Felt needs are needs that you feel. I feel hungry. I feel cold. I feel sick. I feel all these things. That, in, in an essence, if we meet charitable needs, we're talking about hunger, sickness, all these things. We're talking about charity. Now, Christians do the most charity out of anybody. They're the ones in Africa building wells to give clean water to the people. They're the ones opening up hospitals. They're the ones doing relief work at any time a natural disaster hits. So Christians, we're big on charity. We love charity. It gives glory to God when we do charity. Amen? But, the, but, but charity works within themselves, aren't the gospel? Uh, it, ministers to, it does not minister to those felt needs. It ministers to spiritual needs, deeper needs. Remember I said that people in the world try to treat symptoms. The gospel cures the disease. And their spiritual needs, we're going to get to that. I don't want to spoil the rest of the message, but it is a deep spiritual need which the gospel needs, and it's preached in the power of the Spirit. I am not up here, you know, with eloquence, I'm not up here, you know, as some dynamic speaker. Some dude, I'm just some guy who loves Jesus, amen? And, and, and he saved me, and he did a wonderful thing in my life. And I'm here with his word, not my word, because it didn't come from me, and it's by his power. If you're touched tonight, if God is speaking to you tonight, if God is ministering to you, if you feel a need for God, if you feel that, like your life is not in line with the gospel, that is not me. I cannot take credit for that. I can't cure a cold, you know. I can try to yell at the devil, rebuke the devil and all that stuff, but it's not me, it's Jesus, amen. Everyone say there's power in the gospel, and it's not mine. Amen. So that comes from God. It's a spiritual message. It, it comes from the Spirit of God. It does not minister to felt needs, but to spiritual needs. And it's foolishness to the carnal mind. Like I said, nobody could conceive of the gospel. Everybody's answers, everybody's solutions to the world's problems are nothing like the gospel. You know why? Because the gospel says to everybody, you're wrong. It says to everybody, you're wrong. And God had to send his son into the world to make it right. That's really what it is. Because the problem is sin, but we're going to get to that shortly. Number two the gospel is a message of judgment. Say that with me. Message of judgment. Everyone turn to Romans 2, verse 16. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Uh, the first half of this chapter. Paul, the apostle, he's addressing uh, religious people who think they're holier than thou. They're pointing their finger. They're calling people sinners, saying they do X, Y, and Z. But Paul's saying, hey, you do these things. They do those things, but you do these things. You're a sinner too. And in the context of that, listen to what he says. He says, verse 6 of chapter 2, God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who, pers uh, who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Gent Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first through the Jew, and then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. And why do I say that? Uh, because Paul is talking about a day of judgment. He's saying there will be a day we all stand before God. This is what the gospel declares. There will be a day we stand before God and he judges our life. You will be accountable. Your life is not your own. You did not create yourself. You did not make yourself. Whatever you do with your life, you know, that is not your purpose. Your purpose is, is what God made you for. And he's going to hold you accountable for that. He's going to show you this is, this is the life I gave you. What did you do with the life I gave you? And he's going to judge us. Some people have the mistaken notion that we earn heaven by doing good deeds. Paul says the opposite. He says in verse 5, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath uh, for yourself uh, uh, for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment is revealed. I want to say that again. Some people think they're earning heaven by their good deeds. The Bible says you are earning wrath and hell and punishment for your bad deeds. Because although he says people will receive eternal life and peace in these things when they do good, it goes on to say in chapter 3, verse 10, no one does good, not even one. And then in verse 23, all sin and fall short of God's glory. So what's he saying? Everyone will be judged for their sins. In verse 16, this will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets 
through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. That scares the snot out of me. God will judge men's secrets. Every word, every meditation, every little random thought in your mind, every, every harbored unforgiveness, all the bitterness, all the hardness against God, nothing is hidden. Just say that with me now. Nothing is hidden. And, and God sees it all. He sees it with pure eyes. It sells us, says elsewhere in the Bible, Lord, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. He looks on our he looks at us day after day after day. God sees us. God sees everything. Amen. And the Bible says that we will be called to account for everything. Uh, turn with me to Revelation 14. The gospel is a message of judgment. It says there is a universal day of judgment. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, it is appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. Everyone will stand before God. This is what Paul's gospel declares. God will judge the things you did in public and the things you did in secret. Romans 14, verse 6. Uh, To give a quick context here, Revelation 14, God has waged war on the human race. How do you like them apples? He's not gentle Jesus. He's not Tito Jesus in a manger. The Bible says he's coming with a sword, a man, and a white horse, and, and, and it's dipped in blood. I told a guy once it was Halloween. I said, you think you're, you think you're cool with you? Jesus is going to be scarier than Freddy Krueger on that day. You're going to poop your pants if you're not right with God on that day. Revelation 14. God has had it up to here. I'll just put, put a simple context. God is, is, is sending judgment on the earth. He's plaguing the earth. He's given people their chances. You know, he sent his son into the world. They killed him. He's, he raised up the church to preach the gospel to the world. Many people rejected it. There was a rapture. Now everyone who's left is under God's wrath. But look at God's mercy because he actually still is, is, is sending the gospel out to them. Verse 6 of chapter 14. Then I saw another angel flying in midair. And he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on earth. Every nation, tribe, language, and people. One, he said it's the eternal gospel. Two, he said every nation, tribe, language, and people. So this is everybody. The gospel is for everybody in every age. Verse 7, he said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. The gospel is a message of judgment. It's saying you are being judged. Calamity has fallen on the earth. Distress has fallen on the earth. And you did not give God glory. You did not worship him. You did not fear him. You chose sin instead of your creator. You were created for one thing. You did a completely different thing. Now it's time to pay. That is the eternal gospel. The time of his judgment. The hour of his judgment has come as this angel declares. And he's still giving people a chance. But Revelation says that people still curse him. They, he sends the plagues. They harden their hearts further. They refuse to give God glory. They refuse to turn away from the worship of demons. This is what the Bible says. People in that age. That's a scary thing. That in the face of such a powerful gospel, the gospel becoming so real that people would still harden their hearts. I encourage you tonight. I exhort you tonight. Don't harden your heart. Don't wait for, for the angel to tell you, okay? Don't wait for the angel Gabriel to tell you. When he tells you it's too late, I'm here. And I'm, I'm not that, you know, I don't have wings, but I have the Bible, amen? And, and that's enough. Number three, the gospel is a Christ-centered message. It focuses on who Jesus is and what he has done. Turn to Romans chapter 1. How many know I like the book of Romans? This is so relevant, though. You know, Paul is laying it out, the gospel. This was the thesis of his letter here. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, I'm in verse 1 of chapter 1, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Say that with me, gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. Let's stop here, regarding his son. Not regarding his prophet, not regarding anything else. When we go out on the streets and witness, we try to keep it Christ-centered. 
People try to throw us off in rabbit trails, talk about evolution, talk about why their grandma died, and all these other things. And, I, and we're sensitive to, to people's hurts and to people's genuine, sincere objections. Uh, but at the same time, we've got to bring it back to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It said it's the gospel <clears throat> regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power, to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Just say that with me. Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul here describes the hypostatic union. I would have you repeat that, but I don't want you to get tongue-tied. Regarding His Son, who as to His human nature was was a descendant of David, and then through the Spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the uh, the Son of God. He is fully uh, human, he is fully divine. He is a descendant of David. I want you to know King David in the, in the Bible, he slayed Goliath. God made a promise to David that he would always have a, a descendant to come after him and sit on his throne and reign on the earth. That was Jesus. He, Paul is saying here that he was a descendant of David. As much as David was a human as we are, so is Jesus a human, fully human. But as it says, uh, through the spirit of holiness declared with power to be the son of God, he was, he was human and he was fully God. That's the hypostatic union. If, we have to, if we're going to preach the gospel, we have to preach the real Jesus. Jesus says in, in, the, in the book of John, he says, if you don't believe I am healed, die in your sins. There's a big difference between, for instance, uh, the Jehovah's Witness Jesus and, and the Jesus of the Bible. The Jehovah's Witness Jesus says Jesus was a created being. He was the archangel Michael. The Bible's Jesus said he is the eternal uh, word of God. He is with God. He is God. Amen. He is Jehovah God for the Jehovah's Witnesses. Amen. So can you can you tell the difference? That's like, you know, saying, yeah, I know, Jared, you know, the seven foot tall black guy. Wait, which Jared are you talking about? You're talking about a completely different Jared. So, yeah, I know Jesus. I know Jesus, the archangel Michael. I know Jesus, the prophet. I know Jesus, who's the the spirit brother of the devil, as the Mormons believe. What Jesus are you talking about, man? That's not my Jesus. Paul is saying the gospel regarding his son, who was a descendant of David. He was a human being. But he was fully God. And if you read Philippians 2, 5 through 11, don't have time to go there. It said he was in very nature God, but he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but set aside his divine nature and took on the nature of a servant. And then he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And because he did that, <clears throat> because he did that, God the Father exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? That is Jesus, fully divine, fully man. I just want to beat that in your heads for a minute because, you know, a lot of, we're in the most church, uh, we're the most Bible illiterate church generation there's ever been. In the past, even the worship songs they sung were, were laden with theology. Nowadays, your average churchgoer doesn't know about a doctrine like that. They don't know Jesus is fully God, fully man. They think he's half God and half man like Hercules. How many know that's not true? So just to clarify that, your Jesus, the gospel you must preach must be about Jesus. And the Jesus you preach must be fully God and fully human. So we talk about Christ and what he's done, uh, who he is, and we talk about Christ uh, and what he has done. 1 Corinthians 15. The gospel is Christ-centered on who Christ is and what Christ has done. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, uh, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. Just let that sink in. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. For Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, <clears throat> that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born 
This was considered a creed of the early church. This was actually something that they would kind of recite. They would recite a form of this uh, uh, as as a creed. This is a, a doctrinal statement. This is what I believe, that according to Scripture, he died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised again, and that he appeared to witnesses. So according to Scripture, then he lists a number of people who who saw Jesus resurrected. They saw him raised to life. And so God left a witness that this Jesus is the Savior of the world. So he dies for our sins. The gospel, it says by that gospel you are saved. So Jesus died for our sins, amen? If we don't die, if he didn't die for our sins, we die for our sins and we go to hell. If he wasn't judged for our sins, we're judged for our sins. If he wasn't punished for our sins, we're punished for our sins. So he had to die for our sins. Because if not him, then it was us. He was buried, like just displays his humanity, displays his humility. And then it says he was raised on the third day. Because it says later in this chapter, if Christ isn't raised, what is the point? If he didn't raise, then everything he was talking was hooey. I want to say hooey. It was bulldink. Now, but what Jesus said was true, and the resurrection validated that. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I'm one with the Father. He talked about the kingdom of God. He talked about what it would be like in that day. And those things were validated. Why? Because he resurrected. No one else did that. Again, the prophet Muhammad, Zoroaster, all these guys, no one resurrected. Jesus is grounded in history. His resurrection is historical. And that has to be your gospel, a a resurrected living Savior. Amen? Not a brutalized, bloody man on a cross, but a resurrected living Savior. So your gospel must be who, who Christ is and what he has done. Lastly, the gospel is a message of reconciliation. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Now, we talked about that spiritual need. We said, we talked to kind of what the gospel isn't. It, it doesn't, you know, meet, uh, it's not works of charity. It's not feeding the hungry, though those things are very great. We ought to do those things. But the gospel in itself is not those things. It meets a spiritual need. What is that spiritual need? The spiritual need is a right relationship with God. And the fact is, nobody really has that with, without Jesus. Amen? Verse 21, Colossians 1. You once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he reconciled you by Christ's physical body <clears throat> through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not, uh, not moved from hope, from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and which you have been, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is a message of reconciliation. It says you were alienated from God. You were an enemy. Now, if you're alienated from somebody, there's no contact. There's no communication. There's no relationship. You have nothing to do with somebody that you're alienated from. And it says you were alienated with God. And it were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Our sin formed a brick wall between us and God. Our sin formed a, a, a glass ceiling that our prayers always bounced off of. Our relationship with God was was never legit. It was never solidified without Jesus. But it says we were reconciled. That's when two parties who were at odds, let's say there's a, a fight within a family, a mother and daughter, they have a huge disagreement. They don't talk for years. How does reconciliation come? Reconciliation comes when one party repents and tries to make amends with the other. That's the gospel. We need to repent. We need to come to God. Because to come to God denotes that we leave from something. If I'm reconciled with God, if I come back to God and say, God, I'm sorry, I want to make this relationship work, I have to leave something, and that something is my sin. But it cannot be accomplished without Jesus. I can't do enough good deeds. I can't walk enough old ladies across the street. I can't, uh, um, I can't atone for my own sins, but it says we've been reconciled through Christ's physical body in death he died for us to present us holy in his sight without blemish free from accusation i can live with a clean hands and a pure heart before god i can have a fellowship with him he can be my my daddy and i can be his sonny amen I, I can have it like that i can be close to god i can walk with jesus i can have freedom i can have everything jesus had because of what jesus did and that is the gospel 
uh, th- there's a lot of other scriptures, and if we could just get some music playing as we just uh, get into a, a time of prayer. That's the gospel in a nutshell. It's a spiritual message. It's a message of judgment. It's a message that's centered around Jesus Christ, and it's a message of reconciliation. So what do we do with the gospel? Everybody just stand up in a, uh, as we get in an attitude of prayer. I just want to conclude with one passage here. As we reflect on this, and if you, and if you feel like, man, this gospel's for you, if you're under judgment, if you need reconciliation, if you're not right with this Jesus, if his work of, of atonement, if his death on the cross, if his resurrection is not applied to your life today, or if you feel like you're not doing the right thing with it, if you believe the gospel, Mark 1.15, Jesus said, repent and believe the good news. You must believe the good news, the gospel. As I'm in Acts 20, Acts 20, <clears throat> as we close out and just hear, hear, hear what the, the Spirit is saying here. He says, when I arrived, he's, when he arrived, he said to them, <clears throat> you know how I lived the whole time. Paul is talking to these elders at a church. He's about to take a long trip. He's going to get persecuted. He's, he, this is a very heartfelt, emotional farewell for him. And he's speaking. He says, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first time I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. I declare to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life. Let's, let's stop here in 24. Hear this. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. This was the work God gave him to do. What is the work God gave you to do? And what are you doing with your life? As we're just in an art of prayer. Just everybody seeking God. Nobody eyeballing me right now. We need our eyes and our hearts on Jesus right now. That was the work God gave him to do. And he said his life was nothing without it. What are you doing with your life? Will your life count in eternity? The only thing that's going to matter. We talked about the gospel. It is the hope of the world. It is reconciliation to God. It is our deepest need. What are you doing with it? Are you believing it? Do you believe the gospel? Are you testifying? Just a time of reflection. Just reflect on that word as as Brother Berto comes up and Hallelujah. Great word by Brother Jerry about the gospel. Just continue to reflect on this wonderful word of God. Continue to think if you need the gospel, if you've been going by by, by his word, if not, like my brother said, repent. Come on, let's continue reflecting his word for a couple more minutes.